listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Lord, in these circumstances and in all circumstances, we confess that we need you. As often many times as I like to think I I can take care of it or I'm in control or I, I've got it, Lord. It's not the truth. We need you. And so we ask you to work in these situations. But Lord, not for our purposes and certainly not for our glory, Lord, but for your purposes and your glory. Lord, we ask as we open your word this morning that it would be your provision to us, your food to us for our sustenance, that you would speak through it. And Lord, I pray that you remove anything that is not of you this morning, and that you would speak through your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, my name is Clint, and again, especially if you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. You join us, joined us for a grand finale. We are wrapping up the book of John. Uh, we're going to be studying John chapter 21, and I've got to tell you, I've loved the study. For me, what it means to, and what it looks like to believe in who he is, has been changed and reshaped through this study. And so we certainly appreciate Mark, all of our campus pastors, y'all, that spend hours and hours studying the Word and communicating it to us. Uh, So I'm excited about this. When I first started studying this passage, I was reminded of early on in fatherhood, you know, one of the things that surprised me was how quickly your kids' personalities start to come out. And I remember uh, one of the first times I really understood uh, our, our oldest son Caleb's personality. He was young, I don't know, he was maybe two, three years old, and uh, we had just dropped him off at, uh, or we were picking him up from preschool, something like that. We pick him up, and we just start asking him, you know, this is what you do. Hey, how was it? What'd you do? You know, and he answers a couple of the questions, and then just with all the sincerity he can muster up, he just looks at me and Melissa and says, can we just be done talking now? We look at each other, I'm like, he got it from you, he's an introvert, Okay. Of course, now my second born is a girl and an extrovert, and so now I'm the one kind of being like, can we be done talking? No, we're still talking. Okay, we're still talking. So you know what I'm talking about. So when you read about chapter 21, a lot of these commentators are kind of like Caleb, like, we should be done talking now. Think about it. There is a perfect ending at the end of chapter 20. Jesus is resurrected. Glory, hallelujah. John even tells you, this is why I wrote this whole book. I could have written a bunch of things. This is why I wrote these things, so that you would believe, and by believing in him, have life, purpose of the book. Let's call it a day. We should be done, right? But then you get chapter 21. Why are we still talking? You know what's interesting? Everyone agrees John wrote this. It's the same language. It's the same word usage. John wrote it. He wants us to have it. So which is the better ending? Chapter 20 or chapter 21? I'll tell you the answer. How you answer that depends totally on whether or not the resurrection has any impact for your life right here, right now, today. Does the resurrection matter today? And I got to tell you, y'all, it took me a while to learn to answer that question. I became a believer at a young age at Vacation Bible School, and the way I kind of first understood and processed the gospel in my seven-year-old brain was something like this. Jesus died and rose again. And that is great news one day when I die, because I don't have to go to hell. And I'm seven, but I'm not dumb. I did the math on that, right? I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. Great. But it took me a long time to figure out 
does that mean anything for today? Or do I just kind of file that away for one day when I pass from this earth? This is why John writes chapter 21, to show that the resurrected Christ changes your life, not just for eternity, but from the moment you believe. Because when you believe, you follow him. You follow him. John's going to repeat it twice. That's the operative command in chapter 21. Follow me. Now, that's come to mean something in our culture. In our culture, that's come to mean I pull out my phone and I click a little thumbs up button. And it's like a way for all of us to keep score. I was reminded of a tweet that the basketball player Jeremy Lin sent out. Jesus talking to this dude. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. Okay? Jesus used the, the phrase first before Twitter did. We've got to unpack that a little bit. And that's what we're going to do this morning. What does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? He means three things. Live in my provision. Live in my provision. Join my mission. Join my mission. And finally, walk my path. That's what it means to follow him. Let's start reading. John 21, uh, we'll start reading verse 1 through 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. Then they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So a little background, what's going on here. Jesus is resurrected. He's appeared to his disciples a couple times, and he's told them to go back to Galilee and wait. Isn't that the worst? Just wait. Pentecost hasn't come yet. Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on them yet. And so they're just waiting. And y'all, they don't know what they're waiting for or for how long. So they do what many of you would do. I'm going fishing. That's what they do. The other guys are like, that's a great idea. Let's do it. They go fishing. But remember for them, this is their job. This is their career. This is what they were doing when Jesus found them. They are expert fishermen. So it's surprising when they don't catch a thing. They're not used to this. It's not like when I go fishing once a year, I catch nothing. That's called normal. It's not normal for these guys. They're experts. They know what they're doing, and they catch nothing. Pick it up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking. So remember, they've been fishing all night. The sun is just starting to come up, but visibility still isn't very good. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Again, because it was still dark. It was still night. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? It's funny, the original language, he actually, actually asked it kind of sarcastically. He kind of said, hey, little kids, you don't have any fish, do you? I'm sure they appreciated that. They answer, no. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So they got nothing. Jesus says, try one more time with very specific instructions. Throw right here on the right side. They do it and they get an absurd quantity of fish. I mean, they go from nothing to literally can't pull it in. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So this is interesting. John is the disciple who Jesus loved. He's the guy writing. So he records for, to, to be known for the rest of human history in the best-selling book of all time, translated into hundreds and hundreds of languages. I figured it out first. It's the Lord. How does he know? He's seen this before. Jesus has done this before, right? 
You may remember Luke 5, verse 1 through 11. This is how Jesus originally commissioned the disciples and launched their ministry. They're out fishing, catch nothing. Jesus says, throw your nets out again. Huge haul of fish comes in. He says, I'm about to make you fishers of men. Follow me. Think how much has changed for the disciples between now and then. They answered that call the first time, but what did they think they were doing? They thought, we're going to follow. We're going to be the best students of the best teacher. We're going to be the cabinet of this great political leader, and we're going to kick out the Romans. That's what they thought the first time they hear these words, follow me, be fishers of men. But now here they are. And I think it's starting to click. Wait a minute. Jesus was talking about something totally, totally different. So picking it back up, verse 7, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. So John the first to figure it out, Peter's always the first to act. He sees it's the Lord, and man, he's in the water, swimming after Jesus. Pick it up in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's revisiting their original commission and the original call and repeating some things that they had already seen and heard. But here's what's fascinating. This is an amazing chapter. He's going to repeat a lot, but he's going to add some new things here and there. It's almost as if he's reminding them of the picture he drew a few years ago, and now he's coloring that picture in so they can understand it. But the call is the same. He says, follow me. He's saying, live in my provision. Live in my provision. This is the repetitive part. This is what happened in Luke 5. You, on your own, you're catching nothing. When you follow me, I provide the fish. It happens twice. And here's what's interesting. Listen, in both episodes, there's no hint that they were doing it wrong, that they were using the wrong equipment, that they were fishing in the wrong places, that they were fishing at the wrong times. None of that was wrong, or, or, or even that it was any different than what they had done before. Only one thing was insufficient in both texts. They were doing it on their own. That was the only thing insufficient. They were doing it on their own. But when they stopped being independent and they followed him, God provided a catch beyond their wildest dreams. And men and women, is that not a picture of how many of us attempt to follow Jesus? I don't know about you, I I can be the worst about this, the worst about believing it all depends on him and then living as if it all depends on me. You do that? Especially when times of crisis come, you know, especially when I feel like I'm not measuring up and I need to try a little harder. Turns out I have the same mantra often as my four-year-old, I can do it myself. So easy to live by that. And so that's why Jesus revisits this. He reviews this for the disciples, but he changes one thing. It's so important. You notice in verse 9, they get to the shore, and what has Jesus done? He's prepared a meal for them. 
And in verse 12, he invites them. He says, come have breakfast with me. Remember, these guys, they weren't fishing just for kicks and giggles. They weren't fishing just because they were bored. They weren't even fishing to get rich. They were fishing for their food for the day. They were fishing to sustain themselves. They get there and they find out Jesus had already provided for them. He had already prepared a meal for them. Now, it wasn't what we often have for breakfast. It wasn't bacon and eggs. I don't think there were lucky charms in there. It was, it was fish and loaves. Fish and loaves. Now, that may sound kind of like a gross breakfast, but it should sound familiar. Fish and loaves. He's calling them back to John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. You probably remember this, right? One of the most famous stories about Jesus. He provides a miraculous amount of food to feed thousands of people. It's the original pep rally for Jesus. He does this and everyone's like, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. I'm never going to have to fix my own meal again. I'm never going to have to want for food again. He's going to give me everything. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus said, here's the thing though, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. To which thousands of people simultaneously said, ew. And they left. They stopped following him. And the text says they, they were bewildered. They're confused. Who is this wackadoo? What is he talking about? I'm out. Picture this. Picture the disciples sitting down again with fish and loaves, and now the resurrected Christ, who has had his body broken and his blood shed, stands before them saying, remember when I said I would sustain you? Remember when I said I would feed you? I would provide for you? Come eat. Come eat what I've prepared for you. Live in my provision, not just for the work I've called you to do, but for your soul. Live in my provision. The eating is a picture of God's provision throughout Scripture. From Job to Revelation, from the oldest book to the newest book we have, you see this picture over and over and over again. It's a picture of fellowship, of peace with God, of rest, of provision. And even you know the verse, Revelation chapter 3 Behold, I stand at the door with a knock. And if anyone answers, I will come in and what? I will eat with him. The old King James Version to learn said, I will sup with him. I'll dine with him. I'll have a meal with him. We see a hint of this in Peter's response. See, back in Luke when this happens, you know how Peter responded when Jesus first did this? He said, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. And I see that you are. Or not. He, he, he tries to put distance between him and Jesus when he sees Jesus' greatness the first time. Is that what he does this time? No, no, no. When they're still 100 yards off, man, he is in that water, flying to Jesus, swimming to Jesus, getting to Jesus as quickly as he could. See, there's a lesson in here. You know, when you maybe for the first time see your sin, correctly. See it accurately. It should make you want to put distance between you and God, because He is holy and I am not. That is an appropriate response, unless, unless Jesus has provided for you, unless by His death and resurrection He's made payment for your sins and taken all of His righteousness and give it, given it to you. Then you're free to come to the table of God as if you're not his enemy, but his son. You know why? Because that's what you are. You're his son now and his daughter. 
And so that's what we see in chapter 21 out of, out of Peter. Not a sinner shrinking away from a holy God, but a son running to dine with his father. That's the picture we get. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, live in my provision. I've provided for your soul so that you can dine with me. But here's the thing. He keeps going. There's a purpose behind this provision. That's why he says, join my mission. Join my mission. Again, same invitation from Luke 5. I have a mission for you to be fishers of men. Okay? My mission is not just to keep you the same virtually, except now maybe you do, you do something a little different with a couple hours on Sunday morning, and then uh, one day when you die, you don't have to go to hell when you die. And that's why I'm here. No, no, no. My mission for you is to bring people from one realm to another, out of the ocean and into the boat, and I'm going to use you to do it. That invitation is the same. Come be fishers of men. But again, we see something a little different that Jesus is doing to color in the picture for them. In verse 10, what does he tell them to do? Hey, those fish that you just caught, you bring those, and those can be added to the meal. He says, the fish that I provided, I enabled you to catch, you then bring those to my meal that we have together. And men and women, that is always the pattern for how God accomplishes his mission in the world. Another great example is communion. We do that the first Sunday of every month here. We'll do it next Sunday. We take bread and wine slash juice, right? Well, where do we get those? Does God just magically make bread and juice? We go pick it from the little cracker tree we got growing out there? No, no, no. What does God make naturally? He makes wheat. He makes grapes, right? And then he takes his people and he gives them an ability. He gives them a calling to take those raw materials and make something out of it. And then those get brought and used for his purpose. That's, that's the picture that we reenact every time we do communion, and that's the picture he's painting here. And see, men and women, this is important for us to understand, because I think a lot of times, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I can be guilty of thinking Jesus is here to join my mission, right? And I'm kind of worried about how this would have played out if Jesus had done this right here at Lake Tyler with some of us. Because I think the consequence, most likely consequence, would have been, here's what we do. Then we say, great, Jesus. This is amazing. This is awesome. I'll see you right here tomorrow, same time, same place, and you can give me 153 more fish. And then I'll be rich. I'll be rich with fish. And then I can be famous. And then I can write a book, how Jesus gave me 153 fish, and you can too. And I'll sell a lot of those. And Jesus, you are doing a great job joining my mission that is totally self-centered. Isn't that that the easiest thing in the world to do in our culture, is to use Jesus to achieve our purposes? Men and women, that's the easiest thing in the world to do where we live. But Jesus says, no, no, no. When you follow me, you join my mission. I'm doing something. So it keeps going. In this next episode, we're going to see the same call, but in a very very personal way. Instead of speaking to all of them, he's going to speak to Peter. And one of the most memorable one of the most poignant episodes, not just in all the Bible, but in all of literature. Let's read, pick it up in verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In this episode, Jesus makes Peter revisit the most painful failure of his life. And a lot of things Jesus is doing is, are easy to miss if you just kind of read on the surface. You know, Peter, when they're having this conversation, Peter can probably smell his failure. You ever have strong emotions attached to the way something smells, like maybe Mamaw's house, you know? Well, maybe to someone else, it's just the smell of mothballs. To you, it's just got all, it's full of memories and emotion and experiences. Scripture says that Jesus prepared their meal around a charcoal fire. Well, y'all, a charcoal fire is only mentioned one other time in Scripture. It's the fire that Peter and woman servant and several of the people were standing around when Jesus denied, or Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. They were standing around a charcoal fire. Peter could smell it. Jesus asked Peter three times. We're counting one for every time that Peter denied knowing Jesus. Three times. You know what? Jesus is even echoing Peter's words. He keeps asking him, do you love me more than these? Well, go read Mark 14, 29, John 13, 37. The proud, determined Peter, even if everyone else falls away, not me. I won't fall away. Jesus, I will die for you, even if everyone else won't. More than these. And especially if you look at the original language, Jesus is echoing back Peter's very own words to him. So you can understand, verse 17, it says, Peter is grieved. I think we've all been there. I think we'd feel the same way sitting there, grieved. It's kind of this grief of, man, I don't know why Jesus keeps asking me this, but you know what? I know exactly why Jesus keeps asking me this. How do I answer? Yes, I do love you, but I know I've failed. So who is Peter grieved at? I don't think he's grieved at Jesus. I think he's grieved at himself. You've been there, right? I'm sincere, but I'm also fallen. I'm broken. I'm not sure I'll always be faithful. Why is Jesus bringing him back here? Is he rubbing him in, rubbing it in? Is he shaming him? No. Jesus is restoring him. He's healing the relationship so that Peter can follow him, so that Peter can live in my provision. That's what he's doing. Remember Peter early on? Man, no one was more determined than Peter. No one's more devoted. He spent three years following Jesus by his own provision and his own internal resources. But he figured out eventually what you've probably figured out. Devotion, determination, they're good, but they're not enough. He failed, as we all have. You know, this is how most of us attack life. We, most of us depend on devotion for our marriage, for our parenting, for our jobs, for being a good person, especially for being a good Christian. It's important, so important for you to know this morning. Your devotion, your determination, they are sufficient to make you a church attender. They are sufficient to make you an upstanding member of our community. They are sufficient to make you a good guy, a good girl. They are not sufficient to make you a Christ follower. They are just not. 
Peter knows this now. You can hear it in how he responds. Where there used to be this self-assurance, self-confidence, now what's there? Humility, an awareness of his own insufficiency. And so in the midst of that, Jesus replies, now you're qualified. Now you're good to go. He uses the word shepherd. That's the same word for pastor. He says, now you're ready to be a shepherd to my people. What? What? Why? How? How does this work? The biggest failure? He used to be confident. Now he's unsure. Now he's qualified. How does this work? Because now you're living in grace, not performance. That's what makes you ready. You're living in my provision. It's the same lesson Jesus gave his disciples back in Luke 7. You may remember, this woman comes to Jesus opens an alabaster jar, washes its feet with his tears, and Jesus says, pop quiz time, guys. Who loves more, the one who's been forgiven little or forgiven much? They think about it for like half a second and say, the one who's forgiven much, and they say, you're looking at him. Jesus says, you're looking at him, guys. The one who's been forgiven much loves much, which is another way of saying the one who has learned to live in my provision. Important for you to know this morning, this episode ought to teach us all There's no failure too far for you to be a Christ follower. No failure too far. His grace is sufficient, and he wants to restore you. And here's why. The call has never been to follow him on your own provision. The call's always been follow him by living in his provision. Therefore, here's what's interesting here. Jesus three times has a consequence, a therefore, of living in his provision. Join my mission. Because you're living in my provision, join my mission. Three times he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. A few things we need to to, uh, notice about Jesus' response. Number one, they're all action verbs, all of them. And they're not the action verbs in the way of like, go find someone else to feed you or go make sure you are being fed. It's all action you do to another He's saying there's a direct correlation between what you claim to love and what you feed. That's what he's saying. If you want to get honest with yourself, if you want to know who you follow this morning, don't ask yourself who do you love or what do you love. You know why? You can trick yourself with that question. Peter did. Peter was completely sincere when he said, hey, everyone else may deny you, but I never will. Right? He fooled himself with that question one time. Here's the question you ask yourself. What do you feed? What do you feed? What gets your resources? What gets your time? What gets your energy? What gets your thoughts? What do you feed? See, most of us, if on our own, our own natural flesh, our own natural tendency is perfectly natural. So what we all do is we all go about life making decisions that will ultimately be for our good. And so a lot of times that's good right here in the moment, but even when, that means maybe i got to suffer for a little while, maybe it's going to be hard for a little while, I'm still making decisions that are about me, right? And so we can do that with our marriage, right? I can love my wife so that she'll love me and be nice to me. I can work hard at my job and get, hard, get there early and stay late and work really hard so that I'll get a bigger paycheck, I'll get more success, I'll advance, and it, eventually there's going to be a payoff, right, for my mission. It's how we naturally do things. We do it with our marriages, with entertainment, with our possessions, with our relationships. We work to use those things to feed us. And y'all, if we're not real careful, we can do this with the church too, can't we? I'm here, feed me. This is how we, it's so easy to come, isn't it? 
And that's why it's so easy, it's so easy to look around the, the, our city and our town and the culture we live in, and, and you can find pe- people filled, churches filled with people who are coming to church but disappointed, frustrated by lack of growth, disillusioned with people. And men and women, this is always the consequence of when you come and say, I'm here, feed me. It will always lead to disappointment. Instead, Jesus says, you're living in my provision. You are fed. I've provided everything for you. Therefore, as a consequence, join my mission. Feed my sheep. Another thing we need to notice is we are feeding sheep. I really wish Jesus had commanded us to feed dogs. Have you ever fed a dog before? Man, you could, you could take a scrap of food that you spit out and then fell on the dirty floor and you give that dog and that dog thinks you are the greatest entity in all of creation, right? I mean, they'll jump on you, they'll jump on your lap and lick you and, you know, man, they love you. You're the best thing ever. And you can bribe them. They'll do whatever you want. Sit, lay down, speak, shake hands. Just give them a little snack and they're like, I'm in. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Right? Not sheep. Sheep are the least trainable animal in the world. You give them food, you can tell them to sit. If you want to, it's just going to stare at you. It's not going to do what you want it to do. It's certainly not going to jump in your lap and lick you and make you feel like you're the greatest thing ever. It's just going to be like, I'm going to be here same time tomorrow. Better have some food. That's kind of what sheep does. That's what we're called to feed. We are called to love and serve people from whom you get no benefit at all. They're getting something out of it, but you may not be. That's okay. You're already fed. You're living in his provision. The other thing we need to notice, it's a universal call. There's nothing in the text that even hints at Jesus is telling something to just Peter that doesn't apply to all of us. In fact, he probably didn't even pull Peter aside. He's probably talking to Peter in the presence of all the other disciples. Jesus is saying, this is what's normal for someone who follows me. I mean, does this feel normal to y'all? This feels abnormal to me. This feels hard. I think it feels abnormal because largely we can live in a culture where people have substituted Christ follower for church attender as if they're the same thing, and they're not the same thing. Listen, if I can be honest, and I know I'm speak for me. I can speak for Mark here. This is our highest hope and desire for this church, is we want to be different. We want to be abnormal in our culture. We want this to be what Jesus is describing here, the call to follow him, to feed his sheep. We want this to be normal for everyone here who claims the name of Christ. We don't want to just be a church full of people who set aside a sliver, just a little part of our lives, because that's what's respectable. We want to be a church filled with people who have given their whole lives to Jesus. There are no competing agendas. How do we get there? Because again, that's our hope. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. It sounds hard. How do we get there? Well, Jesus keeps going. He has one more thing to say about how we follow him. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Walk my path. 
This is what it means to follow me. Walk my path. This is the path. This is how you get to living in my provision and joining my mission. There's a little bit of a double meaning in what he tells Peter here. He says, you know what? Someone's going to stretch your hand and, and, and dress you. And, and it's easy to picture, you know, my four-year-old, I, maybe I'm helping her, helping her put her jacket on and she stretches her hands out so I can help dress her. And that's absolutely one of the meanings Jesus has. You may remember the parable of the wedding banquet, Matthew 22, where this king is going to have a great banquet and he tells the servants, go issue an invitation to anyone willing to come. They can come to my banquet. They can come to my party. And what happens after they get there? The king gives them clothes to wear, white robes. You'll see this over and over again in Revelation. Chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 7. The saints in God's kingdom are given white robes to wear. They're dressed by the king. What's that talking about? Well, have you ever showed up somewhere dressed totally inappropriately? I remember one time we were, uh, Melissa and I, we were living in our old uh, house, and there was a new furniture store being built. It took a while to build, and then it was huge. It was, you could tell it was going to be nice. It was going to be awesome. It was huge. And finally, we drove by one day and saw a sign that it was open. It's a grand opening, you know, come on in, that's great. And we were just doing stuff around the house. I don't remember if I was doing yard work or chores or something. But, I mean, I just, I had, like, old ratty T-shirt and some gym shorts. And then I even dressed down a little bit more. I kicked off my tennis shoes and put on flip-flops, okay? That's how I'm rolling right now. And we're like, hey, let's go check that place out. So we drive over, and there's a lot of cars there. We're kind of surprised. And we get out of the car, and we start to walk in. And as we're walking in, we see this other couple walking in. And she's got on, like, a, a really nice cocktail dress, and he's got on like a three-piece suit. And I'm thinking, what kind of bozos come to a furniture store dressed to the nines? That's weird. But okay. Hey, you do you, guy. Okay, that's fine. So we keep on going. We go in, and we approach the door, and we see this other lady at the door. It's, again, it's a really nice dress, and her hair did, and the whole thing. That's when it's starting to click, okay? Maybe they're not the weird ones. And so we get, the, you know, we get to the door, and she's like, oh, are you here for our opening celebration? Did you get an invitation? I thought the big sign that says, come on in, was my invitation. Apparently not. And so, you know, uh, Melissa is more socially astute than I am. And plus, y'all, I kind of I relish in awkward situations sometimes. So Melissa's like, should we? And I'm like, oh, we're going in. They put the sign out, we're going in. So we go in, and y'all, there's probably 100 people there. And they're all, I mean, there's waiters with appetizers walking around and drinks. And everybody, th- this is the nicest party I've ever been to. In my life, it's what this is, okay? But I'm still like, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at some furniture and, uh, until we see some people we know. And it's there across the way, and I'm like, oh, but no, they see us, and they walk over. And uh, they're, they, y'all, they were friends, but it, they weren't the kind of friends where you know you're going to laugh about it later. They're the kind of friends that's like, this happening now, this is the defining moment in our relationship. From now on, when someone asks them, do you know the rights? They're thinking about this moment when I showed up looking like a doofus. That's that's the moment. So now I'm embarrassed. I should have been a long time ago, I know. But now I'm embarrassed. Why? Because I'm out of place. I don't belong. And I got found out. Y'all, in Scripture, being clothed appropriately is a picture of belonging. God makes it so that we belong with him. He dresses us. 
And the clothes are white because all of our sin has been removed. We've been given all of his righteousness. So when we get to his kingdom, y'all, we're not these, you know, ragtag group that somehow snuck in. We fit right in. We belong because we've been dressed by the king. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. I'm going to dress you. But there's a double meaning. There's another thing that he's saying to Peter. He's talking about crucifixion. That was a, a saying back then, stretch out one's hands. Everyone knew when Jesus said, I'm going to stretch out your hands, everyone knew he was talking about crucifixion. And church history tells us that is, in fact, how Peter died. You know, many of us, again, some, for some of us, it's the easiest thing in the world to assume and to think. We think, you know, yes, Jesus, oh, I, know, I mean, I know he's perfect, and yes, he suffered, he was persecuted, he was murdered. Therefore, the application for me is, I should never suffer. Don't. Isn't that the math we kind of do sometimes? Well, y'all, not only does that not make any sense, let's also know what Jesus said. Matthew 16, remember he said, listen, if you want to follow me, that's great. I hope, please, follow me. What do you do to follow him? Take up your cross. Here's a cross. It's just for you. Pick it up. Is Jesus is teaching the same thing here. I have new life for you. I have new clothes for you. And the path, my path to get there is through death. It's the same path I walked. Death to new life. Y'all, this is the picture. This is the path in all of Scripture. The way to new life is through death. See, Jesus is not just interested in putting lipstick on the pig. He's not interested in just taking your same old life, same old self, dressing it up a little bit, you know, making you a little bit more moral, a little bit nicer, maybe a little bit better, a little bit more successful. No, no, no. He's interested in giving you new life, like new clothes. He says, take my path to it, from death through death to new life. So that means this morning, some of you, you may have to die to some things. You may have to die to living in your own provision, even if it's seemingly your own provision and your own resources for good things. Some of you may need to repent this morning and die to your own mission, your own self-centered mission in life. But when you do that, there's new life on the other side. How is this possible? Who, I mean, who in their right mind is going to willingly pick up a cross? And say, yeah, I choose to go through death. How on earth can we even make that decision, even if we want to? I'll tell you how. Because he went first. He went first. We're not blazing this trail. He's not saying, go ahead of me. He's saying, follow me. He stretched out his arms for us. He went where he didn't want to go for us. And because he went first, we can follow him. We can live in his provision. We can join his mission. We can walk the same path he walked. You know what I find amazing? Absolutely amazing. After Jesus said this to Peter, you're going to be crucified and you're not going to like it. You know, Peter went on serving Jesus for 30 years. 30 years knowing what was ahead of him. 30 years banking on the fact that through that cross was new life. I want to read one more passage written by Peter. Tell me if this doesn't sound like a new man, like someone who's been changed by following Jesus. And I tell you what, if you want to be amazed tonight, go home and just read the book of 1 Peter. 
you will see a man changed by the resurrected Jesus Christ. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you hear the path? Through death to new life. There might be a fiery trial now, but glory will be revealed. And so today we rejoice. See, here's what's so amazing about the new life we get in Jesus. You can endure suffering. You can endure persecution, cross, death. You can give up a lot of the plans you had for yourself. And still, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Everyone that you see who walks in his provision, who joins Jesus' mission, when it's all said and done, they feel like they won the lottery. They're like, I won the lottery. I got it all by following Jesus. So maybe, I don't know about you this morning, maybe you've been a church attender for a long time. Maybe this is the first time you're a church attender, but you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I'll say, hey, sometimes you get a little bored. You get a little disappointed. My message to you this morning is, good. There's more. There's so much more. Today, Jesus has a new invitation for you. Follow me. I know you failed. There's no failure too far. You can live in my provision and my grace. And you know what? You can join my mission, a mission way bigger than you ever dreamed. And those fish that I helped, you, that I provided for you and helped you get, you can add them to my meal and I can use you to feed my sheep. Today, you can live in his provision, you can join his mission, you can walk his path and it's worth it. And if you've never done that before, you can do that today. I'll be here after the service, so are all others. We would love to talk to you about that. For now, let's pray. Lord, I, I confess that I am as guilty as anyone else, of living like it all depends on me, of living uh, in my own provision, of maybe hoping that you will come and join my mission and what I'm trying to accomplish. Lord, we repent of that because you are better and you are worth it. And so I pray this morning that as we walk out here and we're distracted by worries and cares of life, as there's a world out there that has all kinds of things that can appeal to us and, and entice us away, Lord, capture our minds, capture our hearts. May they be, always be focused and attentive to you and not to the sufferings and the trials of today, but to the glory that is to be revealed. Help us to live for that today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.